Did you know that it's possible to raise your littles to want to listen to you without the use of consequences, rewards, and bribes? Hi, I'm Kaylee Zeyer, and this is the Chaos to Connected podcast, where we discuss simple yet effective parenting strategies to manage those pesky behaviors we go to bed at night hoping will be gone tomorrow. We're going to stand up to societal norms of disconnection, shaming, and punishments so we can take a deeper look into our child's heart. It's there you'll find connection, and there where you'll find more peace, obedience, respect, and joy. So what are you waiting for? We know those behaviors aren't going to go away on their own. Let's dive in. Hey there, and welcome to the Chaos Connected Podcast. Today I have a special treat for you. So if you heard a previous episode when I shared that I was running a behavior challenge Um, the three building blocks of better behavior. I decided that I wanted to share the third training with you because I went pretty deep into self-regulation and how it starts and how it kind of transitions and how we can help our kids. And I just thought it was a good um, like refresher, but also because I know I've chatted a little bit about self-regulation on the podcast before, but I also think a lot of this information isn't necessarily known. And um, I come at it from a different perspective. You'll hear me say this in the recording, but the three pillars that I share are connection, managing triggers, and you know, self-regulation. But I intentionally put that last because I think so often we choose to put that first and that's missing a big component of what's important to actually help our kids learn to self-regulate more effectively and efficiently and like a long-term skill versus just trying to utilize outside cues to actually get them to do the things, which aren't bad. They can be supportive in the process, but the goal is to actually have your child know how to self-regulate. So anyway, um, I'll let you listen to it here and I hope you enjoy it. Okay. Welcome to day three of our three pillars or three building blocks to improved behavior. So I intentionally saved this training for day three because I think that so much of what we are taught and told and, you know, whether it's by a practitioner, a therapist, or even just friends and family, I see all the time when people are, you know, in Facebook groups and asking about a child's behavior, 99% of the comments are, have you tried this calming strategy? Have you done this? Have you implemented this regulation program? And while there's lots of great things about calming strategies and regulation programs, I think we also have to keep in mind that these other things that we've been talking about are foundational skills. So self-regulation is something that comes later. And if you think about it, us as adults even struggle with regulating ourselves when we're really upset. And that's because we're often missing these other two components of connection and trigger management. And so that's why we talked about those first. And then once you have that sorted out, then you can see, okay, how much is the child able to regulate? How much do we need to intervene? Um, And we'll get more into that, but so much we jump to this third step and we've neglected these other two things. And that's why it takes so long to actually get your child to implement regulating strategies because they don't have these other two pieces in place. And so I have witnessed firsthand with my own kids and other people that I have done one-on-one coaching with that once these two things are in place, 
the brain can do what it's supposed to do in terms of seeking out input to regulate. And again, we'll get more into that. But I just wanted to give that, you know, first that this is intentionally the third training, because I think intentionally, it should be the third thing that you are implementing. So if right now you feel like you're coming to your child's behavior, and you are coming at it with like, let's take some deep breaths, and let's create a calming space. I want you to pull back for a second. And don't worry so much about making sure your child knows how to do those things. And focus more on the other two, and then you know, transition into this, which I'll explain kind of how to do that um, because it will work much better for you. Your child can actually then take in the calming strategies that you're trying to share and actually implement them versus when you don't have those two pieces in place. Also, I just want to mention that we're going to be talking about sensory processing. And so um, my focus here on kids who are neurotypical. So if your child has um, some neurodiversity, while this stuff still applies, you might still need to seek out, you know, an occupational therapist or um, some additional help to help a little bit more than what this training is going to give. So just wanted to give that caveat. Um, if that's you and you want to chat about it, I am a pediatric OT and I've worked lots on, you know, giving kids sensory diets and guiding people through that. So if that's something that you feel like you need more help with, um, that's certainly something that I can do, but not something that we're going to focus on here. So with that, let's dive in. So I really want to make it clear, especially if you haven't listened to the other trainings yet, that the process of self-regulation is much more than just let's teach our kids how to calm themselves down. Let's create this space where they can go and they have visuals and they can choose things. While there's nothing wrong with that, that's not how it goes. That's just, it's it doesn't work that way. Like you don't just have a space with pictures and teach your kid to go there and then they do. You have to have this other stuff in place. And a big reason why I had training number two as managing your triggers is because if you don't know how to regulate, you aren't going to be modeling for your child how to regulate. So the first piece in teaching your child how to self-regulate is through co-regulation, which means sometimes, unfortunately for us as a parent, that our kids are regulating from us. So if you don't know how to regulate or if your regulation is flying off the handle and actually not really regulation, that's what's going to happen for your child. So I kind of started to briefly mention it yesterday, but if you respond to your child's behavior in with yelling or, you know, maybe forcefully moving them a little bit or sending them away or threatening consequences and throwing everything away because they haven't picked up their toys, um, your child is going to see that modeled for them and that's what they're going to respond with. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you tell them over and over, like, use a gentle voice. You don't need to yell, you know, whatever it is, they are going to do what they see. So if you are like, hold up, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. I want you to just take a second and reflect on is what I'm seeing what I do is my child yelling and I yell at them. You know, sometimes a child can be responding to their sibling in aggressive behavior, not because we are hitting our child, I certainly hope not, but because when we are angry and dysregulated and triggered, we are responding in just a little bit more force. Like maybe you're not actually hurting your child, but like when you're picking your child up to move them, you're just like using a little bit more force than is necessary, or you're placing them over here, um, you know. It's just, it's not, it's not going to look the exact same as their physical behavior, but oftentimes 
we are actually doing the thing that we're telling our child not to do. And instead of, you know, when we're telling them to do something different, teaching them how to do that, we're actually reinforcing what we don't want them to do based on what we're doing ourselves. So I really want you to take a minute, pause this recording, and just think about your child's behavior when they are triggered, when they're deep in upset. What do they do? And then I want you to take another minute and think about you. When, like, lots of times you're probably able to stay calm and, you know, maybe work through it for a while, and then eventually you do become triggered. What is it that you do when you're triggered and you're overwhelmed? And do those things correlate? Are they similar? And if so, then I want you to go back to training number two, and I want you to focus there. Because when you can focus there and come with more calm, your child is going to learn how to do that. And I want to give you this example. It happened last night, actually. Um, And I see these examples all the time because I'm constantly doing these things that I have been teaching you in the past two days and then again today. Um, But so last night, my three-year-old, he got this bow and arrow um, set. I forget, (laughs) a suction cup. I couldn't think of the word. Um, And he was suctioning it onto the table. And I think when he tried to pull it or when he suctioned it on or something, the, the tip that like goes on the string of the bow broke off and he was obviously really upset by it, started crying. And my six-year-old came up behind him and gave him a hug and said, I'm so sorry that broke. I know how that feels. And those moments for me are just such a blessing and also a great reminder that even if our kids aren't responding that way 90% of the time, it doesn't mean that the work you're doing to manage your own triggers and respond from more calm and empathy and understanding, even if you're not perfect, because I certainly am not, your kids are learning that. And they're recognizing like, sure, I'm not that way every single time. When I'm not, I repair. But most of the time I'm coming from this calm place and I'm letting them have those feelings. And I am empathizing and saying, I know you're really upset. I'm really sorry that happened to you. And it it sinks in, guys. It sinks in. So I just want to encourage you, if you have been in this place where you're like, I am staying calm and they're still not learning it, keep going because it takes time. Like, think of you as an adult. How many times do you still get dysregulated and yell or do something that you don't like? Our kids are the same way. And <laughs> we should expect more dysregulation from them, right? Like, we've had so much longer of living. So anyway... Now we are going to get into actually the process of how we can teach them how to self-regulate. So we know that the first part, the foundation of self-regulation is co-regulation. And so that means managing your own triggers. Once you feel like you have connection in place and you've been managing your triggers, then we can transition into, okay, how do we now navigate self-regulation? And the biggest way we do that is through sensory strategies. So we are all sensory beings. I know sometimes if you like, you know, maybe certain um, like textures bother you or certain types of food or flavors or textures of food or different things could bother you more than other people. And sometimes I think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I must have a problem or my child has a problem because they can't tolerate this. And that's not true. We are all sensory beings. So we all operate on this continuum or spectrum of hyper and hyposensitivity. Obviously there are kids and adults alike who have sensory processing disorders. That's not what we're talking about here. 
what we're talking about here is just sensory processing in general. So we all have preferences, we all have sensitivities, and we also have sensory systems that we are drawn to. So for me, for example, when I was working in the clinic, you know, it is really mentally taxing to be seeing a patient every 45 minutes because, you know, as an OT, you're not just treating the child, right? You are seeing what the child is doing. You know what goals you need to work on and you're modifying the tasks that they're doing all the time to make sure that it's the just right challenge. But because they're kids, you are also dealing with behavior. And so you have to adjust strategies for that. You're also dealing with sensory things. You're also dealing with other things in the environment. And then you're also, you know, educating parents. So there's so much going on there. And I often found myself like chewing gum all day long, going in our little treat cubby and getting like sour candies or chewy candies. And that's because oral sensory input helped me to regulate. And when I think back to childhood, I was a thumb sucker. So that was especially regulating for me. And so you wouldn't look at me and say like, oh, you have a sensory processing problem because you need so much, you know, so much more oral motor stuff. No, it's because that's more of what that sensory, like what sensory system I'm drawn to when I need to regulate. And we all have that. We also all have things that we're sensitive to. So while I'm drawn to more oral motor strategies, I also don't like a lot of textures of food. Like I cannot stand shrimp. (laughs) It's just so spongy to me, you know, and I have tried lobster. I love the flavor or even like pork chops, love the flavor, can't stand the texture. So we, we have things in both camps. Um, And so if your child is sensitive in one area or another, before you jump to the conclusion that my child must have a sensory processing disorder while they might have, um, and that's something if you're really concerned about, you should seek out, you know, a, a practitioner an OT, talk with your doctor. But oftentimes it's because we, our child isn't connected. So their behavior is off track. They can't be thinking. So their brain can't go through this process that I'm going to talk about how they regulate. And so it looks like they're sensory wise dysregulated. I can't tell you how many times I have worked with families who um, came to me and said, like, I've been in OT for years and it's not working. Like they're not still can't regulate. And part of that is because they're missing these other two components. These other two components did not come from my pediatric OT training. This came from my connection focused training and it's vital. (laughs) Connection is vital. Managing your triggers is vital. And once those two pieces are in place, I have had families say, okay, we were doing this and the child asked for this and they don't necessarily recognize it, but I'm like, exactly. They're regulating themselves. They're recognizing without saying out loud, like I'm feeling anxious. I need a break. Let's go outside and run. They're doing that process because that's what the brain can do when we have these other two components in place. So make sure if you don't have those focus there first. Um, So when I was getting at the brain's designed for regulation, so what I mean there is like we're all sensory beings, our brain is designed, again, if you are neurotypical, so if there's some type of neurological disorder or something or some diagnosis that involves sensory processing, this is not who I'm talking to. Um, This is more for neurotypical children, adults. Um, And so what happens in the brain is that our brain knows hey, I need to keep my body at this optimum functioning or, hey, I need to calm down to go to sleep, whatever it might be. I need to wake myself up. So I need something to alert me. 
our brain knows this. And so our brain, because we're sensory beings, has experienced different sensory inputs and recognizes this helped me to wake up. So I'm going to do that when I'm feeling tired. This helped me to calm down. So I'm going to seek that out next time I need to calm down. What's happening is that most often because our kids aren't connected and we haven't learned how to manage our own triggers that creates this whirlwind here. And we're trying to interject calming strategies and they're just like bouncing off and flying everywhere and not getting in. That's because we don't have those in place. Once those are in place, the brain then can take in the information, the different activities that you're exposing your child to and actually utilize them to say, Hey, I'm starting to feel upset. So instead of exploding, I can feel my body welling up. My brain is saying, you're getting upset. You need to calm down, do this. And then the child will implement an activity. So for example, um, my three-year-old, I just like, I don't even know how it came about, but one time I gave him like a little back rub, not like those gentle ones. He likes like the deep pressure, like actual massage. And then maybe two days later, he was trying to fall asleep for a nap. And he said, can you give, can you push down? Which meant like give him that deep massage. And he said, it helps me fall asleep. So he wasn't, I never said, you know, here's a calming strategy for when you need to calm down or when you need to settle down for sleep. His brain automatically experienced this massage, registered it saying, this feels calming for my body. And then when he needed to draw on that, when he needed to calm his body, it was like, hey, that really helped me. Let's ask for that again. And so what we're really doing is when when um, we don't have those two pieces, that bridge there between the brain saying I need something and the body seeking it out is not connected. And so oftentimes what you'll see is a child who is disconnected and dysregulated doing things that are maybe inappropriate or ineffective. So maybe that's where you see a child hitting or kicking or biting um, or laying in all sorts of weird positions or um, just like going out of control because they don't know what their body needs. But when we can create that bridge there, they can start to automatically do those things. Uh, I do want to give you this car example because I think it's really helpful for us to always have the perspective in our mind of what's going on for us. And I think we've all probably experienced this example. If not, I'm sure you can imagine it. So if you've ever been driving in a car, you know, late at night when it's dark and you're feeling really tired and you're starting to like drift off and you're like, holy crap, I got to stay awake. I need to focus here. Um, because it's dangerous if I don't, your body is, your brain is saying, I need to alert myself. So you are naturally going to seek out sensory input to help that process. So oftentimes we might roll down the window or turn up the air because that's a tactile experience. We might turn up the radio or call somebody on the phone because that's an auditory experience. So we are naturally seeking out all these sensory inputs, but we're not thinking consciously like, oh, I'm falling asleep. I better roll down the window and get some fresh air on my skin because that alerts my body. No, our brain is just saying, I've experienced this before. This wakes me up. This cold air wakes me up or this loud music wakes me up. So I'm going to do that when I'm starting to fall asleep because I need to get my arousal level to just right so that I can focus here. So after you have allowed space for emotion. So again, I think so often we see our child dysregulated and we're like, we want to help them. We want to help them. It's not usually coming from like this negative place of like, I don't want you to have any emotions. It's usually we either have no idea what to do. 
um, we've been patterned in a certain way to respond, or everybody's saying like, teach your child to calm down with these calming strategies. And so we automatically want to interject a calming strategy. The problem here is that if you actually are successful, which for me, I've never been, you know, like if my child's mid tantrum and I try to interject a calming strategy, they're like, no, (laughs) you know, I'm not doing that. So you might have similar experience and that's because your child's not ready. Your child needs to have space to allow those emotions to come out. And that's exactly, you know, that's part of the problem is when we're interjecting a calming strategy, we're stopping that process. We're telling the brain, stop having emotions. And in turn, that's teaching your child emotions. These big feelings aren't good and I shouldn't have them and I should contain them. And so that's why I say after you have allowed space for emotions, then you can interject a calming strategy. So what happens with a meltdown? It looks like a bell curve, right? So it goes up, like the behavior kind of stuff starts out, intensity goes up, and then there's like the all out (laughs) screaming, flailing, all of that stuff. And then as you allow space and let them cry and process and you're supportive, it starts to come back down. And as it's coming back down and they're calming back down, they're back in their thinking brain. That's when you can interject a calming strategy if they want to. That might also be when they say, I need this oftentimes. So we have, I don't think I have any in here, but, um, we, oh, I have these, um, we actually, use doTERRA oils. And so this isn't the kind, but they have these different, like, um, they're kind of like cough drops. So not this specific kind, but they have one that's called a breathe drop. And it has all these oils to help with breathing, you know, like opening up the airways, but sucking is just like, you know, when you were a baby, you sucked on a nook or a bottle, um, or maybe you nursed that's like the first way that your body kind of calmed down. And so I will often say, do you need a breathe drop? And then like kind of teaching them, here's a place where you can interject something. So then sometimes as, especially my oldest, as he is coming out of something, he might say, can we read a book or can I have a breathe drop? So the, the way that we get our child to understand calming strategies is going to be through two different means, modeling and exposing. So when you are with your child who is having, you know, maybe a tantrum or a meltdown and you feel yourself starting to be triggered, or even if you don't, you can yourself start taking deep breaths, or maybe you do something else that's calming for you. That's modeling for your child what to do. Just like when I mentioned the co-regulation piece, your child is going to be learning from your modeling what to do when they're upset. So the more that you can model, you don't have to specifically say, do this when you're feeling upset. You can just be showing your child, here's what I do when I need to calm down. And then exposing your child to the different calming strategies that are specific to their preferences. And you might be like, well, I don't know what my child's preferences are. I want you to make sure you go through the resource that I'm giving you today because it's going to help you learn what your child's sensory preferences are so that you can expose them to strategies that are specific to them and customize more to them versus just going on the internet and somebody saying, oh, you should teach your child deep breathing. And they're like, I don't care about deep breathing. Um, So make sure you check that out because it's going to help you. And what we're going to do is just figure out what sensory input system is your child's top preference. And then you're going to find activities from that. Probably things your kids are already doing. You just haven't like tuned into that or thought like, oh, this is a sensory calming activity for them. 
Um, So I will walk you through that, but you're going to just try to provide opportunities throughout your regular daily life for these input strategies, because what that's going to do is when your child is using that strategy, their brain is going to be registering what it does for them. Even if they're not consciously aware, you can also be talking about it. Like, you know, say your child was going crazy, like super excited. And you said, Hey, why don't you give me, can you do 10 push-ups? And then afterwards they seemed much calmer. You can say, Hey, did you notice your body seems so much calm? Like before you did push-ups, you were kind of like all over the place. And now that you did push-ups, your body just seems like much calmer. How do you feel? You know, so you can be talking about it in that, in that way, like in the moment. Um, I wouldn't do it necessarily for upsets, but when you're talking about it, you're bringing awareness to it. Just like we talked about yesterday for awareness with managing our triggers and identifying triggers. Um, this also helps our kids like reinforce, oh yeah, that did help me. So it's more about modeling yourself and then exposing them to something that is actually going to help them calm down that they can draw from when they need to. And then again, like anything, there's that spectrum of sensitivity that we talked about. These are, there's actually seven senses, technically eight, but um, we won't get into the eighth one. Um, So I, again, I'm going to walk you through what these are, a few things from each. So you can tell, is my child, so hypersensitivity would be like, your child is really sensitive to this. Like for me, the texture of shrimp. Hyposensitive is like your child craves this input, like they can't get enough, you know? So again, we'll go through this in the, in the worksheet that I'm going to send. So you can figure out where's your child here. Okay. Sorry guys. One of my kids just came in. You know what? This is sometimes how it is. I'm sure you can relate. Um, okay, so before we close out today, I wanted to again share with you what I am launching tomorrow. Um, it will be open for a couple weeks before it closes and everything kicks off. So this is a place for community um, support from other moms who are in it with you. And it will be also a place where you learn how to transition to more connection-focused parenting. So if you feel like you're struggling with you know, when my child gets upset, I threaten to take something away or threaten to throw something away, or I have to send them to a timeout, or I just don't know what to do because nothing is consistently working. We are going to deep dive into all of the topics that we've covered across the last three days, um, because the things that I touched on are very, very surface. There's so much more depth there. Like if you think of that visual where it's like um, an iceberg or a mountain or something, probably an iceberg, and then you have the waterline and there's just like a tip showing but there's like all this stuff under the water that you can't see. That's kind of like our challenge is the tip of the iceberg. And there's all this other stuff that we are going to dive into. Um, You will get resources that you can actually work on implementing these things that we're talking about because they're not going to do you any good if you just consume them. And there's plenty of free stuff, right? That you can, that you can consume. Um, But what we really want to do is be action takers, right? And actually, shift the behavior that's going on in our home or in our own, in our own personal, um, minds, bodies to really help come to connection, break generational patterning and just parent that in a way that's enjoyable, right? I think sometimes it's easy. It's easy to give consequences. It's easy to do certain things and we can feel stuck in overwhelm when our child's behavior is challenging, but when we can just bring some of that 
our responses from subconscious to conscious and actually respond in more connection focused ways while it's a little bit more challenging at first because you really have to take your thoughts captive and adjust. Um, it's just so rewarding. And um, I feel like it's the best gift you can give your child. Emotional wellness and helping your child learn and understand how to manage those big feelings. What could be better, right? In an age where mental and emotional health issues have skyrocketed. So anyways, I'll stop there. Get off my soapbox. But we're going to also have quarterly guest experts, um, hot seat coaching. So if you're like, I'm really struggling with this, you can jump on that call. Tell me about it. And I will give you a specific you know, shortened version of a blueprint versus compared to like one-on-one coaching style, but it will be like that. We'll have Q&A days, um, just additional supports and opportunities for accountability and additional resources for you as a mom that will really help with trigger management specifically, but other things as well. And I just also want to let you know, because one of the biggest things that I have come across is um, so many moms have said, I just love everything you share. It resonates so much with me, but I like, we just can't afford it. And I want to let you know that I hear that. I understand that 100%. And so what I'm doing is if you jump in, in the next two weeks, you will be a founding member and you have a $50 discount each month. The first 10 people that jump in will also get a free one-on-one behavior call. So this would be like, if you were to do one-on-one coaching with me, you would get a 60 minute call at the beginning. This is like that. Um, but it's free, um, compared to $200. So there's another discount for you, but I also want to share with you. I'm really excited about this referral program that I'm going to do because if you are still like, so it's going to be $47 until founding price is over and then it will go up to 97. But if you're still like, I'm not sure if I can do that. I want to let you know that I'm also going to be doing referral rewards. So if you refer anybody that joins, you are going to get that next month free. So if you refer somebody that joins every month, you could have your membership free, which is (laughs) incredibly discounted considering how much you are going to be getting for $0. Um, So anyway, if that's something that you are just really resonating with this information and you've been struggling financially, but you want this sort of style. I hope that this can be helpful for you. Um, If it's still difficult, let me know. But I think that this hopefully will be a great opportunity for you to get what you need and also to do it in a way that's, you know, budget appropriate for your family because, you know, we want to be good stewards of what we have. So I am going to link in the email that I send out. Um, the page where you can go and join if you'd like to. If you are one of the first 10, I will send you an email and we can set up a call. If you have any questions about it, especially since we're not live today, which by the way, thank you so much for um, being flexible in that. Um, Feel free to just email me or if you're on Instagram and you want to send me a message, I would love to have conversations over there. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining me these last three days for taking the time to watch the recordings. If you weren't able to join, um, I know that this information is really beneficial for people, but it also takes up your time. And I know that's precious as a busy mom. So I just want to thank you for being here, for listening to the recordings, for wanting to maybe transition and, you know, quote unquote, do better, I guess, for your child, for wanting to know how to manage your own big feelings, for wanting to help them emotionally, 
you know, that's amazing. And that's what we need more of. And so I just want to honor you in that and encourage you on that journey. So whether that's joining the membership, whether that's just connecting on Instagram or via email, uh, I would love to do that because we aren't meant to do motherhood alone, but it can feel really lonely sometimes. So all that to say, make sure you go through all of the trainings, listen to them on Zoom. You can speed them up so you don't have to take the full time and then make sure you actually take the action step and put it into place so that you can start seeing behavior change. The thing about these strategies is that you don't have to do them for long before you see huge transformation. You just have to be consistent. So I want to encourage you in that today. And I hope to chat with you and see you over in the motherhood connection soon. Real quick before you go, if you felt encouraged and inspired by listening to this show, I'd love for you to leave a rating or review over at Apple Podcasts so we can spread the word to help other mamas feel less alone and find beauty in the behaviors. You can also take a screenshot of this episode, share it over on your Instagram stories and take me at Kaylee Josiah and we'll all do a little happy dance together. I love nothing more than to cheer you on along this journey. This work is so hard, but don't forget God has not only called you to it, but he has equipped you for it. Now go get connected. I'll see you next week.